Welcome to Gotham Palace. On tonight's show, Hector and the Ho-Daddies. Holy, unholy alliance. Our greatest foes have reunited. Let's go. To the Batmobile. Holy entree, Batman. You fiends, you will rue this day. The only rue here is in the gravy. Hurricane Crusader, you're our only hope. Not so fast. But we're in a hurry, Batman. Jaywalking is extremely hazardous. Gosh, yes, you're right, Batman. Quickly, Robin, to the crosswalk. Welcome to Anything Goes, the best geek and pop culture podcast broadcast from Long Island, New York. I'm your host, Timothy Rooney, and I am back for another podcast about Batman because Batman being my favorite character in fiction, it Go, it leads to a lot of Batman podcasts, and with every podcast I do, I always have a guest, and there's no other Batman fan, at least close to me, that has reached the levels of geekdom when it comes to the Cape Crusader. I mean, there are, there are, there are contenders. I mean, my friend Mike and Chris are very close when it comes to Batman fanat- uh, fanaticism, but there's one person that comes just as close as me when it comes to Batman love, and that's my guest today. Who's with me? Dakota Wiegand. Hi. Hi. I haven't been here in forever. When was the last time you were on? Oh, uh, when was the last time you did a Harry Potter podcast? Was that really the last one we did? <laughs> yeah, that was the last one you and I did together. Wow. I feel so ignored. Well, you are. You are you I are really cool. live like three minutes away, too. <laughs> That's true. It's kind of like, it's always like the joke we made when the Islanders were at the Coliseum. It's kind of like, what do I do tonight? Let's go to an Islanders game. You didn't have to schedule and everything like that. Now we have to go to the Barclays Center. Not saying anything wrong with that. Like it is No, there is a lot of wrong in that. Would you rather Kansas City? Part of me says yes. Why? It's a totally different podcast. But Sum it up briefly. Okay. Yes, because you don't have the Barclays Center trying to Brooklynize the damn team. That's true. And also, Kansas City would actually have an arena that's actually fit for hockey, not some basketball arena that slapped a hockey rink. And oh, by the way, a third of the stadium can't see the see a quarter of the ice. Yeah, but and those black fucking jerseys suck. You done? No. But that's a different podcast. Yes. We're here to talk about Batman. Batman! We're talking about a very specific era of Batman. We're talking about Batman 66, the TV show that kind of brought Batman to a new level of stardom. Because mm-hmm. he was very popular in comic form up like from his debut up until the 1950s. And then when this, the kind of the witch trials, pretty much, or the... Which hunt, as to say, which hunts of mm-hmm. the comic book characters during the 1950s, around the time as the Red Scare, and you had the Seduction of the Innocents book coming out saying, labeling that comic books were 
leading youth astray in many a myriad of different ways. And so comics kind of fell from the wayside. Like EC comics like almost went under because of their violent content. And Batman was one of the characters that were struck with this. And that's why you look at the 50s era of comics, how silly they were. And I do enjoy the 50s era of comics, of, at least with Batman. Like, where it's, like it's all pow, wham, and lots of aliens and stuff like that. There is a certain charm from those comics and there was a TV show that came out in the 60s. There was a parody of that starring Adam West. Oh, yes, Robin. Oh, it yes. It is me, the Caped Crusader. <sighs> Jeepers, Batman. I I haven't aged in 50 years. years. I mean, like, yes. And, and that's the funny thing because we were talking about it very specifically. Like, we haven't even gone to, like, the theme song hasn't even kicked in yet. <laughs> because we're talking about the animated movie Batman Return the Caped Crusaders. So let's jump into that review of that right now. So, Return of the Key Crusaders is an animated movie that reunites Adam West, Burt Ward, and Julie Newmar in their respective roles of Batman, Robin, and Catwoman mm-hmm. for an animated movie. And it's kind of like a big, like extended episode. Yeah, it's pretty much not like it's not like Returns of the Cave, where it was old live action Batman and Robin, go, like old Adam West and Burt Ward going back and getting the Batmobile from the the remaining uh, uh, live cast members. It's like if the show continued, this would be another episode if it just happened to be close to 90 minutes long. Now, what is the synopsis of this movie, Dakota? So, the synopsis of this movie is that... Please don't keep it like Beezer turns to the Goblet of Fire uh, 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 synopsis. <laughs> no, no, I'm going, do, I'm, going, I'm going to try to do this as straight as possible. That's a challenge for you. Hello. Do you drink that water, Timothy? <laughs> <laughs> okay. <laughs> Okay. Goofiness. Uh, I, I was going to do a spit take there. <laughs> Goofiness the first, aside. Wouldn't be the first time with him. <clears throat> so, Bat, uh, Batman opens up with, uh, obviously, Commissioner Gordon and uh, Chief O'Hare. Chief O'Hare. <laughs> Chief O'Hare calling, calling, Batman, the Penguin, Joker, and the Riddler and Catwoman have just struck a popular television program, leaving a dastardly clue. So, Batman and Robin go out to go check on... Uh, check it. Check out the clue that was left, which is the most vague clue. But they somehow figure out that they're at the. They're going to steal this duplicating ray. The duplicating ray uh, was developed by some Russian scientists in the U.S. and is easily stolen by the thie- by the by the uh, horrible thieving people. Yes, and the conniving criminals. The conniving and criminals. Alliteration you, throughout. You dastardly fiends! You. Yeah. Oh. And so, pretty much from there, Batman and Robin are trying to but trying to get the duplicator back. Yes. However, at one point, they get caught, and Catwoman uses a vet toxin to scratch Batman to make him like obey all her command, uh, all her commands. It doesn't work at first. Because as it progresses, 
Batman becomes more and more evil and takes over Gotham like one step at a time, Batmaning, Batmanizing the entire city by duplicating himself with, with the, the replicator ray. Yes, so that he controls all the infrastructure and then almost to the point, and then he actually holds the entire city of Gotham hostage from turning a TV channel because he just wants the attention. Yes. However, due to some very hokiness, Alfred has a Alfred has an antidote for that. Batman snaps out of his senses and then they go take on uh take on Joker, Penguin and the Riddler with the help of with, Catwoman. With the help of Catwoman at that point. Yeah, and because they want to steal the most valuable things that they could possibly think yeah, of. Yeah, it's all art, I think. That yeah. it was at, like art and jewelry, which is like a typical Batman 66 yeah. plot. The thing is, if you watch like the first 22 minutes of it, it, it you it's a like beat for beat like of an episode. Yes, and it's almost satirizing what they are, what the show is about. Yes. I mean, like the Batman and Robin park park in Gotham, Gotham, and Robin wants to cross the street. He's like, no, no, Robin, we have to obey the law. Jaywalking is a horrible crime. To the crosswalk. And they run and they walk like 10 feet to the crosswalk and they slowly walk. Batman waves at the cars that are stopped and he crosses the street. It's just like, oh my God, this is so dumb. But you're sitting there through the first 20 minutes smiling because of how hokey it is. It's like, it's such, it's a hundred percent a salute to the show. Yes. And you're sure it is satirizing the show, but it never like. Looks down upon it. No. It revels in it, and it's a, a nice, loving tribute to what that show was. Yeah, it's embracing what it was. I mean, even, like, it's from the opening moments when they do the opening titles. Yes. And it's a tribute. Like, it, it's all the, like, big famous covers of that time mm-hmm. being introducing all the characters, like, with, like, Action Comics number 27, and then, like, or Detective Comics number 27, and then the first introduction of Robin with him coming out with the drum, and it says Robin on it. And then you, like, both of us, like, because you were sitting a little bit uh, in front of me so I could see your reactions too, both of us are smiling ear to ear because mm-hmm. it's just so much love for this character and this time period of this yes, character. While on top of it having the 66 the Batman theme going, da 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 there's so much love and adoration for it, and you just you can't help but get you get uh, swept up into it. Mm-hmm. And the thing is, you have the opening 22 minutes, and, you're, and I'm I'm looking I'm looking at the time, and I'm like, it's an hour and 18 minute movie. I'm like, what else are they gonna do? But it's just gonna keep the criminals keep getting away, and it's just a constant chase. No. I didn't know what was gonna happen, and I'm like, oh, he captures them. I'm like, okay, where's gonna go from here? And then you notice something. It's a slight change. In Batman's character, yeah, and you and both of us are like, "What? That's not very Adam West Batman. That's more real. Like, not, not saying not real Batman, but that's, that's more like, traditional Batman would do something or like that. Animated series Batman. Or... And then you're like, "Wait, what?" And then he starts going further. Yeah, and you're like, "Oh, oh, oh. Batman's the villain in this one." And you're like, "Oh, how far are they going to go for this?" And they almost. Went all the way, too. Yeah, and, and like, there were, there, like, as we were saying, before we get into characters, there are certain moments of it, like, where there's references to other Batman properties. Because at one point, the criminals take over a satellite above yeah, Earth. A space station, A yeah. space station above Earth. Batman uses his bat rocket that 
Aunt Harriet has no no idea that <laughs> Wayne Manor is shaking as well as like a few acres around as a bat rocket takes off in the sky. I mean, the people of Gotham are watching this rocket take off to space and waving. And some of the, yeah, waving at it. I mean, but that, that is in 66, like, what was it? Yeah. In the opening of the 66 movie when they get into the helicopter, they're flying across Gotham. And it's like the police officers taking off their hats and saluting Batman as he flies across oh, the city. And not to mention Batman's spacesuit has bat ears on it. Of course. <laughs> He gets to the space station and he starts beating the crap out of the because criminals. he's no longer in Gotham jurisdiction. And he, and it's like oh my god! And he starts he does not pull his punches whatsoever. No. And, he, and you're like and you start to feel worried for the yeah, criminals. Like the villains are now like, wait a second, something's not right here. And like your audience are going like, something's yeah. really not right here. And it's it's one line. It, it's quote from Dark Knight Returns. Like it's an operating table. And I'm the surgeon. You're like, oh my god! No, he starts off with, "You want to get nuts? Okay, let's, let's get, get nuts." nuts. <laughs> and if you're, and if you're any semblance of a Batman fan, you realize that's from Batman '89. It's a Michael Keaton line. You're like, what? And that, that, like, this is an operating table, and I am the surgeon. Boom! Boom! And he lands a punch, oh! and you're like, oh my! Yeah, and it's like, whoa. And I know it's like we're just being a bunch of handboys over this movie and stuff like that. But, like, if you have such a setup, you have such a history with this character and this version of the character. Like, if this is, like, Batman in the animated series and he says and he, he dropped that line, you you would smile and you would smirk. Actually, the him disappearing uh, before uh, – at one point, he disappears from Commissioner Gordon's office through the window, like a billowing window. I think that was an animated series reference because he always was in Commissioner Gordon's office and, and his, just vanishes, vanishes without a trace. But I do love how the like, he never does that. Yeah, because he would always <laughs> say goodbye and he'd leave through the door. Yeah. But never actually Batmaned himself out of it. Yeah, and and then you're like, oh, what? That's that's weird. And then after that moment, like Robin's like taken aback because he's realizing he's slow. Like he's the audience right at this point. Robin is the pretty much the main character of this movie. Yeah, actually. And like he's like Batman disappears on the Commissioner Gordon and Chief O'Hare without saying goodbye. He's like, all right, uh, he's acting a little weird after this case. He runs downstairs, goes outside, and about to jump in the Batmobile. Batman takes off. Yeah. Abandoning him in Gotham City, he's like, "All right, I guess got to hitchhike back to the Batcave." Yeah, he stands there with his thumb out. So presumably, Robin killed that that motorist that brought him back to the cave. No, no, he um he borrowed a bicycle. He said, "Right, okay," and he's like, "Sorry, Robin, I couldn't wait up for you." Uh and uh, let's talk. Like, and the the climax of this movie. Is that Catwoman teams up with Robin after getting out of a death trap? Okay, hold on. Like before, there's so much to talk about. There with is this. so much to talk about. The Batman and Robin face off. Yes, the gadget face off yes! <laughs> after they okay. after Catwoman and Robin have joined forces. They decide to go to the Batcave. Just as a quick side note, yeah. Catwoman joined forces with Robin to. Bring Batman out back to his senses because because at this point Batman's taking over the infrastructure and Catwoman's like he's t- he's a little bit too much for me so maybe and he saved previously saved her life on the space station so he she owes him a favor of bringing him back to normal so yeah so they rush to they use the Catmobile <laughs> uh, which 
great dialogue in between there, uh, getting into the Catmobile and Batcave. But yeah, Batman and Robin have a uh, utility belt, uh, uh, pretty much standoff, mm-hmm. utility belt showdown, where they just really like. The battering bat sh- bat shield and just and it's just, everything's bouncing off each oh other and it's like and Batman has that line like I taught you everything you know and I, I was wait I was like almost half expecting to say like but not everything that I know and they use the antidote on him and thinking <laughs> that it would work and it's like yeah, I took the bat anti antidote <laughs> and, and it's so in, in keeping with Batman sixty six that. Uh, we both burst out laughing at that moment because they're like, oh, it is so silly and so... But they take themselves so serious, which is the magic of that. That's why I think that's why that show works because they never winked at the... Well, they do... There's very few moments where they wink, but there's a lot of moments where they just take themselves so seriously that you just have to go with it. It's the only possible explanation Quit, ba- quit, Robin, <laughs> and they would go off whatever. And then you have those all those kind of snide remarks that Batman would have towards Chief O'Hare because he thinks he thinks both of them are kind of morons. Yeah, well, they are both morons, and, and he and so much so in this movie, he calls them out on it. That's why he takes over their jobs initially. Yeah, he he duplicate he goes into uh, their office, pretty much tells them that they're both not doing their jobs. So he duplicates himself to become Commissioner Batman and Chief. Chief of Police Batman. Yes. <laughs> and the Chief of Police Batman starts, like, mimicking uh, uh, Chief, o, uh, Chief O'Hare. Yeah, with, like, his, with his, like, his catchphrases and everything yeah. like that. It all culminates. And Commissioner Batman puts on Commissioner Gordon's, Gordon's glasses. glasses. Okay. Over the mask. Okay, I realized something about this. Commissioner Gordon never wore glasses in the movie, in the TV show, or he didn't never wear them that often. Alfred did. They the flip flopped And they flip flopped them in the movie. I do not get that. Uh, I think it's more in line with comic lore I, rather than actual the movies. Because it was at some points where I'm looking at Alfred and I'm more seeing kind of Alf- animated series Alfred. In a rather bit. than the actor who played him in the 66 yeah. show. Um, I mean, hell, like even in... Uh, but, but Commissioner Gordon looks like the 66 Gordon. Yes. With glasses. With glasses. But like the thing is, like he never wore... Like, he would... I do not remember him wearing like, – because you've watched more of the show than I have because you still have my Blu-ray collection yes. of it. Which, thank you, because I thought the show was so – and without no, watching the show, I thought it was just silly and stupid. Well, watching it now, one, the actors really do care about them acting, and it's actually very creative and entertaining. Yes. I, I mean, like, one of the like, running jokes of the 66, the 66 show that I love is the jukebox with the sawed-off shotgun in it. <laughs> The, the bartender doesn't even remove it. <laughs> I mean, it's like, yep, it is Wednesday at seven o'clock. There's going to be a stick up, people. Like, get rid of it. It's like, it's like, uh, it's like, well, there's a reason why we don't play Knights of White Satin because we put that on. That's when the, the, the jukebox decides to stick the, the bar up. <laughs> and it results in Batman pulling the bat shield out of his Which utility is, belt. Yes, that was the first time we got to see the bat shield, but it, um, it was, oh my, like, why are you why do you have it? never mind it ends up with robin and catwoman after escaping from a death trap in the bat cave because they were going <laughs> being lowered into the nuclear uh reactor and i'm like uh that was almost almost a way to go go that was the joke i made because of what's her name that fell into the vat in the first episode like 
Yeah, the first two parter episode. And it's like, what a way to go go. What a way to go go. Uh, well, they never, they never gave us that line, but they got gave us another some horrible like it used the bat anti um, anti antidote or something. No, like that. He, the bat anti radiation spray on both of us before we got to the bat cave. Of course, that's why we lived through the nuclear reactor. It was like what? Yeah, I know because those kinds of <laughs> leaps in logic would happen in the '66 show, especially like when it came to the riddles and solving their most convoluted riddles. That riddle yeah, well, that's with... how they opened this movie, where it's like, it's like, well, what is blah 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 blah, and they go leaps and bounds and turns there. It's like nobody would ever figure that out, but they make it sound like so simple. And even like Commissioner Grove, it's like, oh, how stupid of us. We, why didn't we think of that? It's like, no one would have thought of that. And another joke that I love is when they get out of that death trap and they decide that we have to do something or we'll lose Batman forever. And I'm like, (laughs) (laughs) especially I I am a big fan of Batman forever. I'm not the biggest fan of Batman Returns. I definitely prefer forever over Returns. We will be talking about those movies soon because I (laughs) one I want to redo our Batman 89 review. You, Mike, and I, like I brought that up before. I'm willing to do. Yes, All those. and yeah, we're gonna be covering like we're gonna be doing a lot of Batman because I have a lot of plans for this this channel, and so in Return of the Cape Crusaders, Robin and Catwoman decide to get all the criminals out of the prison. Yes, and use them to battle the several duplicate Batman. And it's all the rogues that would show up on the show. Yeah, you have King Tut, you, you have, have Egghead, you Mr. have Mr. Freeze, Mr. Freeze, and so many more. Uh. And I love the moment when, like, Egghead grabs, like, the knockout egg to use and, like, Batman, <laughs> Batman just slaps, slaps it in his, his face. face. And the, the whole climax takes place on the show that opened the movie mm-hmm. that Batman has now taken over. And there's a Batman monitoring one of the uh, – operating one of the, the studio cameras. And he changes one of the settings from variety show to fight scene. Which, and, then, and it tilts. It goes to the Dutch <laughs> tilt that the show would know. And I would not – we could not stop laughing at that moment. It was such an – Clever joke right there. It's such a tongue-in-cheek joke that it was. It's amazing. Like it, you just have to applaud the screenwriter and and just the direction because like it really captured the '66 show and really salute not only the '66 show but also the other other versions of Batman in that. Yes, like this movie is made by bad fans for, for bad, bad fans. fans, and that's. Something you could not take away from it. And, like, according to IMDb, we do not know how accurate this is. Like, if the movie had roughly a $3.5 million budget. Okay. Same thing with The Killing Joke, <laughs> which will be doing its own full in-depth review down the line. Now, which watching both, which one do you think had more money? Which just, one ha- was given you, more you, money? Which one do you just visually think of just how the movie was presented? Which one do you think had more money? What The one that I would think had more money... Well, you would hope would have more money was the Killing Joke, but it felt like this one was the was the, given the bigger budget. Yeah, and like even if like let's for argument's sake, let's say if it's true, they both received the equal amount of budgets. I like I, I just wonder what what went wrong with the Killing Joke and its adaptation versus this. A lot of things went wrong with the Killing Joke. I mean, that movie left you and I both very like hollow and disappointed. Yeah, and that's the and thing. It's one of my favorite Batman stories. It, yeah, it's a great comic book, and they just completely dropped the ball and like. Every aspect of of their like of D- DC makes pretty solid, like good to pretty damn good animated, animated movies. Yeah, that's one and thing that Marvel kind of like kind of can't. Marvel can't compete with that. 
and that's like even like some Marvel fans will even like uh, recognize that. Like a, a coworker of mine who's like a die in the world Marvel fan, who's not the biggest DC fan, but mm-hmm. he he even concedes the fact that. DC kills it when it comes to animation. Yeah. Oh, yeah. They have the animation market completely covered when Marvel has the live-action movie completely covered. Yes. But, um... Even though I'm a big fan of DC movies, like, don't worry, we'll be talking about those soon. Yeah. Go on. But, no, but yeah, no, this movie left... You and I can both say that this was an above-average to pretty damn good DC movie. Yes. Killing Joke was a subpar DC movie when it really... If you really think six months, you brought this question after we watched it. Six months ago, you would, you and I would both think the reverse. Yeah, Killing Joke would be the, like, would be epic. This and this would be shitty. Yeah, not the reverse way. And, and I love the fact that, like, after, like, I know this is something we'll bring up in the Killing Joke review again, probably down the line. But when you and I came back, we were like almost at a loss of words. Yeah, and Zach is like looking back and forth between the two of us as we're like pacing the basement, wondering like. Did someone just die? Yeah, like, it was something we were really despondent over that movie. Yeah. And then and you look at this, like, well, the point I'm trying to get to is that, like, if you were disappointed in Batman, DC animation, like, with with these thing, Killing Joke is a dud, you watch this, and you realize why they're still the king. Oh, yeah. This movie made up for your utter disappointment of the Killing Joke, and then some. Yes. This really is, like, this is why DC excels at these hour and a half animated movies yes and marvel can't catch can't even catch traction with them right but let's talk about the characters let's talk about the the character let's talk about adam west as batman and slash bruce wayne i thought i thought it was good he did a really good job you could tell that he really really was putting his all into his performance yes um he I, it doesn't feel like he missed a step with that character at all, and you really appreciate his performance there. And it's not like saying like he kind of phones in for Family Guy. Like, sure, he's in an episode maybe a few times and stuff like that, but he doesn't have to try that hard. He just has to be himself. Yeah, well, he on Family Guy, he's almost playing Adam West. Yes, and here he's playing the role that made him famous. Yeah, like it's kind of like if Stan Lee did an animated cameo, like. Like, Stan Lee showing up something playing Stan Lee, that's what Adam West does for Family Guy. Yeah. He's playing himself at that point. And for this, like, he, like, you realize the fact that he is an actor, that Adam West, and he he does a performance. I mean, like, it's almost as good as the, the Beware of the Grey Ghost episode of the Batman animated series. Yeah. Like, that's the kind of level of performance he brings. And... Yeah, he put off, like, even though you don't see him acting, like, the energy he put into the role, you can feel it, and you can hear it, and you really appreciate that, and it really helps the movie um, movie be so good. Yes, and and I think they, they animated to his voice track beautifully, and it almost sounds like, now, like, almost sounds like now a day has gone by. Almost. Almost. That's there, what. That's there, why I... There are that. moments where you can tell... I mean, he does sound... Older. Older. And, but there's some moments where, like, I guess it was just the day where he sounded kind of... There were moments where he sounded off. Yes. Like, it's still... He still had the energy and everything like that, but he sounded really old behind the microphone at, mm-hmm. like, Stern and Roll. There's especially the one when he says to the... Like, to the... To the Batmobile. Right. But it sounded... To the Batmobile! It's like... Wanna, straining a little wanna, bit. You want to do another take of that, Adam? It's kind of like what uh, Harrison Ford in Force Awakens, where like 
Yeah, he's still doing good performance, but you know, it's an older Harrison Ford. Yeah. It's an older Harrison Ford doing this. Mm -hmm. Even at the moments where, like, Chewie, we're home. Chewie, we're home. (laughs) (laughs) Thank you, Chewie. But there are certain line deliveries, like, oh, this is an older Harrison Ford here, and it's not like. It is nineteen. This is not nineteen eighty anymore. That he's yeah. not the young person anymore. But those moments are few and far between. And it never becomes a distraction for this movie for Adam West. I mean, yeah. No, I yeah. It, if you really just look at Adam West's performance, it really isn't. Um, when he does have those off moments, it's not taking away from the the entirety of the role. And you still pre- and you really do appreciate him. You understand the fact that it's not nineteen sixties. It's not even nineteen nineties where where he was in the Beretta of the Great Ghost. Yeah. But like I said. The energy he's bringing, the effort he's putting in, you could definitely tell, and it's not taken away from the role. What about him when he turns to, as to be a villain and his oh, voice thought, cha- and his voice changes a little bit? I like, thought he really did a good job there. Exactly, I was like, yes, yes, and then him, you know, him, him, his evil laugh needs to be worked on. But like, I think that's always the point because like it's, it's becoming so silly at this point like all right like we might as well go full tilt with this yeah, and yeah. like go for an over-the-top and laugh yes, you heard right batman has a uh, maniacal laugh in this movie and it's hysterically bad and but like <laughs> <laughs> it's like if you made like if you did like if you wanted to make a maniacal laugh like that's the sound you would get and it's not like a detraction for him at all or anything like that it works for this it, it, it works for the moment yeah within the context of that scene is perfect and you cannot help but laugh along with him yeah and it was fun it was a lot of fun and like when he's doing his evil voice his voice gets a little bit lower and a little bit darker and he gets a little more serious tone yeah, behind when the we words thought, when we thought they were just going to go where the poison changed him from silly batman to serious batman it did feel like he was trying he was giving it like kind of like a beware of the great ghost yeah like a great ghost voice to it and we're going like yeah and and then you like he has a tone even when he's reading sillier lines. Oh yeah, it's a great because he starts taking over even the very mundane kind of roles in the city. <laughs> Specifically, one way he takes over the, the number one bakery in Gotham. Baking is both a science and an art. And he takes the, the baking hat <laughs> off and puts the top of his. And this, in this in the Batman sixty six costume, wearing a baker's hat and stuff like that, and then he continues to go about his day. <laughs> the chef's hat with the. <laughs> It is hilarious, and then you see him like as a businessman, like with his with a fedora and glasses on, and with like the tie, and the jacket, and with what? still the cape and everything on. It is tremendous. Oh my god! I mean, like it must have been so much fun oh, to animate. I totally forgot. Um, during the fu- that giant fight scene, the original Batman, while hell of his copies were fighting the Rogues Gallery, yes, he's standing on stage dancing in the background. Right, he's doing the six the. the the amazing '60s dance, but from the f- first two-parter when he's yeah. like he's doing like the like fingers across the eyes and stuff like that. <laughs> Which now I'm thinking about, it, I think that's where Tarantino <laughs> kind of ripped it off of Pulp Fiction. Now it has to be it, when John Travolta does it, something <laughs> like that. It has to be Batman '66 right there. Somebody's gonna come in like, Which, no, it was this obscure movie that and did this. By the way, if you stay for the end credits. They have Batman solo dancing through the credits. And I mean, like, I just wonder, like, how much fun that must have been just to animate that just for the credits. I mean, personally, I think that's the pilot. That someone was just screwing around and be like, yeah, this is this take 66 Batman drawing and like that. They're like, oh, that, look, that looks pretty good. Yeah, imagine if we could make a 66 Batman movie. 
<laughs> Pretty much. All right, let's move on to Robin and slash Degration played by Burt Ward. Your feelings on his performance Burt in this. Burt Ward stole the show. Yes. Burt Ward's voice has not aged a bit. Yes. And he was on point this entire the entire movie. I mean, he's still the leaping lizards Batman. Yeah. Holy guacamole, Batman. My shoes just got gum on them. And it is the every part of the silliness of that performance comes through in spades for this movie. And you love every moment oh, of you it. You love it. And, I mean, the thing with the voice acting, you really feel like they were really, like, they wanted to be there. Yes. They wanted to do this so badly. And Burt Ward was not an exception. He was on point. He was reading... He sounded and was acting the way he did back in 1966 with this show. Right. He was awesome. And, and I think the animation along with it, like when, like when he had like those kind of like, even like, even though like he did not have a performance in it when it was the quiet moments and it's just Robin's animation reacting. Yeah. And you could just imagine like what the internal monologue that he's having when Batman starts to turn from. Yeah. Which was actually a really great part of the movie because you're like the, Robin's feelings was the audience feelings like what is going on with Batman and you're wondering like how far is this going to go and what can I do to stop him Mm and then you realize like oh they're going to have to come to blows and you don't want to see that but in the back of the mind you're like what does happen if they come to blows yeah I mean like you see Batman fight Jason Todd in Under the Red Hood yes in the new Avengers Batman Robin you see Tim Drake take on uh, Batman had been gassed by the Scarecrow in one of the episodes, and he had to fight him to get him under the control. Doesn't uh, Damien take on Batman in the newer... In the newer ones, too. But, like, I shudder to think a moment in animation where we've seen Robin and ba- uh, Dick Grayson and Batman come to blows. Yeah. It's probably a plethora of comics that have happened that, that yeah. I just haven't had... Personal experience. Most with. you've had usually the falling out between Batman and Dick Gray, uh, Bruce Wayne and Dick Grayson is over an argument over principles. And yes, how and far he, you're going to go with the, that lifestyle in the uh, animated series, like the New Adventures this series of Batman and Robin, and Robin just cold clocks Batman in that episode when he's yeah. quitting Robin to become Nightwing. Eventually, yeah, but Batman doesn't retaliate. No, and. Seeing Batman and Robin do uh, go toe-to-toe in this, you're like, wow, this is something we've been looking forward to for a very yeah, long I mean, time. Yeah, I mean, the showdown of the utility belts was pretty epic. Exactly. Any other final words you want to talk about Bill Bird Wars uh, performance here? No, I mean, he he did an amazing job, and I really – like, he really was on point. I have no complaints about I have no complaints about him. No, not, none whatsoever. Let's move on to the other returning cast member, Julie Newmar. Yes. Your feelings on her performance in this movie? Like like Adam West and Burt Ward, she brought the same enthusiasm, same energy, same attitude of just really selling it. And you could tell that she was really trying throughout it. It's just ate, her voice aged so much that the... I mean, I still liked her. but yes. Her voice was a little bit of distraction to the age of the char- the animated character. Right. It just didn't work. You well, the, for the entire for the entirety of it, or is it just for, for a certain most, moments? For the most most of the movie. Okay. For me, at least. Um, I mean, I still, I mean, so it. I I can't really complain because it just 
feels wrong to complain about that. Mm-hmm. But yeah, she you could out of all the three returning voice act uh, three returning actors, she did age the most uh, vocal wise, mm-hmm. and you could tell. But that being said, she it didn't stop her from reading these lines with the most energy. She didn't mm-hmm. stop. It didn't stop her from becoming Catwoman again. No, she, she she didn't phone it in. No, she was once again. She was there to relive being Catwoman. Mm-hmm. She was all on board. She brought the energy. She brought the enthusiasm. She was likable, and it she was she was good. It's just I feel like I don't know the her voice didn't match the body, which I understand. And I, there were moments where. Where it became incredibly prevalent even to me. And I was just like, like, oh, that's not so bad and everything like that. But there were moments where I was like, ah, oh, yeah, that's a bit, um, that's a bit much right there. And, but it's not saying that, like, it's a bad performance whatsoever. Because, no, it's, I, no. it, because it was perfect for this movie. Mm-hmm. And it, I think it would have been inappropriate for her not to be a part of it. Yeah. Oh, totally. And, I mean... I mean, with her being still alive and everything like that, you needed her to be in the movie. How old is she? That is a good question, sir. I do not know off the top of my head. I'm just looking up something really quickly for... Um, there's one moment because there were three Catwomen, three yes. actors to play Catwoman on the show. Batman gets hit in the back of the head by Penguin's umbrella, and he's seeing Triple. And he sees <laughs> Julie Newmar's Catwoman. He sees Eartha Kitt's Catwoman, he sees Lee Merriweather's Catwoman, mm-hmm. and he's like, three Catwomen! <laughs> and they don't have... Are they those two alive still? Or? I don't think so. Because, yeah, they, they didn't have any lines as uh, those versions of Catwomen. But, it, but it's a nice, loving tribute to the having them there in that moment, because they were part of they were part of the history, and they did not want... This is just like... Like we said before, this movie is a love letter to the Batman 66 history and the history of Batman overall. And just one of those little moments, even though if you're not a true, like, not to say true, but like uber fan like you and I are, when you see those kind of flourishes in there, you and I can just watch it and be like, oh, that's really cool. I can't believe they did that. Other people are like, who are those two? And hopefully it would spark enough enthusiasm in the people who are not aware of it to go about to find out more about those characters and find out more about those actresses playing that character, I should say. Julie Newmar, by the way, is 83 years old. Wow. Yeah. She was 32 as Catwoman on the original Jeez. show. And I think she did a fantastic job in this movie. Like, I know, like, like I do agree that, like, her age was kind of prevalent in the performance, but... She still brought... She still brought... Her A-game and everything like yeah. that. It was... Real, it was done really well, and I and I think my favorite moment is where because Catwoman is kind of flipped and flopped with her allegiance throughout the movie, and it comes at the very mm. end of it when she's about to escape, and it's like maybe we can just give up our lives of crime on either side of the law, and we can go to Italy and stay at a very particular Ita- uh, restaurant and drink uh, uh, coffee. <laughs> <laughs> that sounds very anticlimactic, and it's obviously a reference to Dark Knight Rises' ending. Yeah, and like both you and I looked at each other like, "Wow, shots fired, bang bang!" Yeah, that was, but that was great. But once again, I was saluting the entire series. Yes, it, so I was hoping that when they briefly had, um, when they brief, just sidetracked it, when they briefly had Mister Freeze on there, 
I was hoping that he would drop like one of the Arnold ice puns. I, that would that would have been perfect. <laughs> or in the words of Kevin, that would have been perfect if they did that. I, I'm, I'm, I'm letting that go. <laughs> oh. Just for this. I mean, it's not bad as my creaking calamity of jokes and stuff like that and all the other kind of alliterate, alliterative humor that that show and this movie was part of. Let's talk about the other um, villains, the other rogues. In it. We have uh, Jeff Bergman played the Joker in this. Your feelings on his performance as Cesar Romero's Joker? He was a little different. I mean, uh wasn't 100% Cesar Romero. Right. But it was still entertaining, and you could still believe that it was a Cesar Romero-like performance. Mm-hmm. I mean, it was a little – I mean, doesn't have the – Flair or the actual voice. Ooh, it's close. <laughs> it's close. But just Cesar Romero's voice is very dis- distinguishable. Yes. And it wasn't that, but it didn't take away from watching Joker because you just, you're seeing Joker. This right. is everything Joker is doing back in the 1966 series. Right. So I thought it was a very good job. Now, on another podcast, Kevin Smith uh, does a podcast with his friend Ralph Garman called, and the podcast is called Hollywood Babylon. Ralph Garman's an actor and a radio host in in Los Angeles, and he's known for doing impressions, including Adam West and Cesar Romero. Now, when they launched the Batman 66 comic a couple of years ago, hit, Ralph and Kevin came up with the idea of, like, let's do a crossover issue. Let's pitch this idea to DC Comics. Because in the TV show, they did a crossover with the Green Hornet, which were both produced by Bill Dozier at the time. And so they pitched this idea to DC Comics, and they decided, and DC Comics liked it, and then they did a Batman 66 meets Green Hornet comic book with Ralph and Kevin Smith writing the comic. It was a success. I bought it. I really dug it. Mm-hmm. And they even did an audio podcast reading the characters, and he read Cesar, Romero, Cesar Romero's character as Cesar Romero. And Ralph Garman's a big – he's a, now friends with Adam West because he has such a love for the 66 show. Like if you look on the 66 uh, Blu-ray box set, like when they talk about fandom, you get to see his man cave, which is pretty much like a Batman 66 memorabilia. Mm-hmm. And like Ralph Garman was part of the reason why Adam West has a walk on the, the star in the walk of Hollywood fame. Now, when this movie was announced, people were like, like, why don't you just tap, like, ask Adam, like, hey, can can I do the role of of Joker? I mean, I think that was kind of, like, hinted at, and I think Adam fought for him. It just so happened it just didn't end up like that. And it's the thing, when this movie came out, like, Kevin asked Ralph, like, so how do you feel about uh, not being cast in this movie? Like, Adam won't return my calls. Or something like that. And it just feel like Ralph was kind of burned by it, and he kind of felt bad that he wasn't part of this movie. Like, oh, like, like... It would have been awesome to see him to be part of it and do his season Romero uh, performance because he does a really good job at mm-hmm. it. Not saying anything away from the actor who did this. No, he was he was pretty good. And there's a moment in the end of, the end of Joker's uh, Reign of Terror at the very end of the movie where he falls through the yeah <laughs> the roof of a big top circus and it turns out like oh, it's like a Louis to his car too at this point. Yeah, it's. Get hurt here, get hurt there, get hurt there, and then like, and it's it's just like like zipping around, like he ends up on a big ball, and he's like he's like running on the ball, like as and all of a sudden, a clown car shows up with cops 
like clown, clown just cops. As, yeah. clown cops and I'm like I'm like oh my god that's terrifying a clown car showing up and he gets thrown in the back of it with two other clown inmates inside here you, like, you and I both go like, I'm like, like those are the creepy clowns that people have been seeing around the neighborhoods on the east coast for the past couple of weeks at this point those are the kind of clowns you have to be afraid of yeah and like even like Joker makes a fart joke at one point I'm like they actually did that I'm like I never really don't think they ever really did that in the sixty show. Like I've not watched every episode, so do not quote like do not like say like he never did that. I'm not saying he never did that, but it was I have to struggle to think that he made like kind of like a kind of a gross joke like that in the show. Yeah. I mean and, and so much so that it kind of stops the momentum of that scene. It's like uh, like Oh. Okay. Like if it was like Mark Hamill Joker, like that could work. Like even like he's made a whoopee cushion joke. In the sixty in the nineties uh, cartoon, but for this, it seemed a little out of character. Final words on the Joker. I thought he was awesome. Okay, now William uh, Slayers plays the Penguin. He, what do you think about him doing Burgess Meredith's Penguin? He was pretty good. He was yeah. very another. It was a very another solid performance. Um, even with these guys, they brought such great energy to the performances, and they were really having fun uh, re- recreating. Uh, the Rogues Gallery from the original Bat- from the '66 Batman series. Um, what's the guy's name who plays Penguin? Uh, for this, it is William uh, Slayers. William Slayers or S A L Y E R S. Salyers. Pronunciation is not my strongest suit. I, I realize uh, that, and you feel like that's kind of ironic in a in an audio say, based I would format. I call that Salyers. Salyers. So yeah. William Salyers. He he did well. I mean, uh, he just. From even like the previews, if you look up uh, the movie, like uh, when Batman and Robert being uh, like a gigantic uh, microwave dinner plate getting to push into the oven, it's like, you will rue this day. The only rue is in the gravy. <laughs> like the laugh, the tone of voice, it was so, it was, it was very on. Yeah, and I think Burgess Meredith would have been happy with that performance. Like oh, yeah. that, and I think he would have been proud of it and would have done a, did a really good job at it and and like his harebrained schemes and like and everything like that was just perfect for it and it was spot on for this mm-hmm. movie and i think he did a tra- tra- tremendous job for it yeah um moving on to uh, uh wally wingert who played the riddler yes your feelings and his performance as a riddler i actually asked you if they got the original voice actor back no but he, and that's 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 a testament of how good this performance was yeah that you think Frank Gorshin is still alive, but no, like the Frank Gorshin died, I think a little over 10 years ago, like his last like big acting performance, he was actually in Quentin Tarantino directed a two parter episode of CSI. And that was his last acting role. He had a small part in that. And it's so weird to see like, wow, Frank Gorshin and, uh, and Tarantino project, who would have thunk. (laughs) And he does make a joke and everything. He doesn't have like the big laugh that, that Riddler would have. Which I think is the biggest part of one of the biggest parts of that performance is yeah, the like laugh that. Was, <laughs> the laugh was spot on. Um, like red on this, red on this, and what's red, what's black and white and red all over? You in five minutes, unless you surrender. Uh, and it's uh, it's such a great job in. I can't help but like express, or it's kind of it's kind of hard to say they did a great job or fantastic job or tremendous job. What we could say is, but all these performances overall, just watch the movie, experience itself, and 
if you've not seen the 66 show, this is like almost a great primer for it. And like, if you want to show your kids, like this would be really good for it to be introducing them. And then you get to show them the show. Mm -hmm. Or if you're a fan of the show and you're a little trepidatious about this, you see if like, I don't know if I should really watch this or not. Check it out. Like from a performance level alone, it is worth your time. Oh yeah. Now let's talk about uh, your favorite moments of this movie. What is you'd say your favorite moments of this movie? I know, and it's really tough because there's so many laugh out loud moments. There's so many moments that you just like, oh, you couldn't help but be happy for. I I, I don't have a like a singular moment. I just thought it was awesome, or at least like some of your favorite moments. Then, uh well, the space station where Batman, where all of a sudden everyone got the like got the notion like something's up here with Batman. Yeah, and he takes out the brass knuckles to beat. Beat up Penguin, Joker, and Riddler. Yeah, and he starts dropping those Batman uh, lines. It's like that was a that was one of my favorite moments. <coughs> Excuse me. Um, obviously, the uh, the utility belt showdown was amazing. Mm-hmm. Um, but it, but it's a lot of little things in the show, like in the movie, totally took me by surprise. That I absolutely fell in love with. Um, like the the chef's hat was yes. hysterical. Um, in the back cave, you actually with some of the souvenirs, you got to see all like the the original Batman suits. In yeah, cases. and you get to see like the purple gloves. The, the purple gloves, like you see like Bob Kane, Bill Finger, Batman suit in the background. And you're like, oh, and you look, and both of us pointed out like purple gloves. And you're like, yeah. oh, I mean, as somebody who, like as fans that we were a huge. Other than like fans, like fans of it, but we're so we love looking at Batman history and seeing that being referenced and being so not saying like oh that never exists and this never happened, but actually being so open to like expanding the just everything. Everything matters. Everything counts. It's kind of like the Grant Morrison way of thinking of everything when it comes to Batman that every error is valid. Yes, and nothing is bad. Nothing is crap when it comes to the everything is valid and everything makes up this character and is being so welcoming to that is a real breath of fresh air when it comes to certain ca- with with this with this character. Yeah, I agree. Um what was your favorite moments of the movie? Uh, one of my favorite moments is actually when you really realize Batman's turning when he fires Alfred. Yeah, that was uncomfortable. To, oh, that was almost uncomfortable to watch. And then you're like, "Oh my god, like and, and, then, like, and you think like, oh no, then this is like this is when you're gonna call out Batman, and he doesn't. And then you're like, um, okay. And then like a few scenes later, you get to see Alfred on Skid Row digging through the garbage, and you're like, oh my god. god. You, you feel like like this is a Alfred we may have spent two minutes with, and like maybe it's because we've had so much time with Alfred as a character through the myriad different iterations of this character mm-hmm. that just seeing him. Pushing a shopping cart, digging through garbage, looking for something. You're like, oh my god! Like, I mean, it pays off. Oh yeah, because he he's the one looking for the antidote antidote to the situation, and like being fired was part of a big plan a for Batman. If you've ever looted, like contingency plan. But that is totally Batman. That is totally Batman. because he is he is a contingency for every everything. everything, including if he's been psychologically damaged or compromised. Yeah. There's another thing with Batman, with Graham Morrison's run. Like, if he has been psychologically compromised, he has a backup kind of personality of Batman of Zura and Ah, where it's just pure Batman and it's just pure vengeance. 
and like you have the colorful suit of Batman and stuff like that. This suit is for confidence. Confidence. Like if I'm willing to wear this and I kick in the door. Yeah. What do you think the criminals do? You think a criminal is going to really want to duke with me? Like if I'm willing Dude. to wear this in the middle of the night. And another favorite moment of that is like you said, seeing the different other Batman doing the mundane jobs around. Oh, that was- like the chef's hat, I think it's just like the, the icing on the cake. If we want, if I want to do hunch. Um, just the line that goes with it. Baking is both a science so and, and an art. art. And it's all like, uh, uh, you always like, you can always see where that line's coming from. Where it's like, baking is both a science and you're like, and you say to yourself, and an art. And he says it and he puts the hat on. You're like, oh my God, it's <laughs> tremendous. And then seeing. The fight scene at the end where the camera dig goes into a Dutch oh tilt. Oh, my God. <laughs> yeah. And there's one little moment where the first time Batman is showing up at uh, police headquarters. Mm. And he does a oh, he, turn around the corner. And he he like, drifts into he, the parking spot. He drifts spot. into the parking, spot, the parking spot. And you're like, oh. And then both of us kind of like set out like, like a <laughs> glove. <laughs> Even like the moment when they get into the car and they, they turn on like. Tom batteries to power, turbines to speed, and they turn on the Batmobile and they drive off. Yeah. And you can't help but just be giddy. Giddy by the experiences you have with this. And if I had to say one last final moment, it's like with Aunt Harriet kind of saying, like, there's some there's something screwy going on between uh Bruce and, and Dick. And she kind of calls them out on it, and they're like, uh, um. Uh, yeah, and then change subject real quick. Yes, which would, would happen like almost every other episode yeah. in the '66 show. Except she comes really close to finding finding out, and then they're like, "Oh, it's, it was a surprise party for you for your birthday." Yeah, and, and then you then, can drop the whole fishing thing at midnight. I mean, who goes fishing then? Where are you two boys going? Skeet shooting. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> Wait, what? <laughs> <laughs> Um, uh, and of course, the character of Anne Harry was put there to. It was yeah. It was there to play down the fact that like the homosexual overtones between Batman, Bru- and Robin. Batman and Robin. That was it was almost like a buffer of like all the kind of things that happened in the trials in the 1950s of the that that comic books promote homosexuality between in youths and stuff like that. And if you look back on it, like the entire case is kind of like null and void at this point. Like all like the facts that were supposed to be. Or that I should put in air quotes facts that are in this book have been disproven at this point. Oh it's, yeah, completely. And so it's kind of strange, like they needed to do that, but I appreciate why they did that. Mm-hmm. And there is a moment where, like, Aunt Harry's going into the uh, room and the room shakes like the red phone. Like, oh, well, she's not supposed to go in that room whatsoever. Yeah, not at all. And she and like Batman like grabs it by the wrist, and you're like, oh my god, he's gonna like he's gonna. Slap. And he looks pissed. And like I'm like that is Batman, and he would do that. But that's the very like, one of the first inclinations that Batman is. There's something wrong, and you almost feel like is Batman gonna just slap this woman or something like that? Like it's yeah. gonna be like, like he, he looked back at other '60s TV shows. One of my favorite moments, and I think it's the second pilot of Star Trek, where it's Spock attacking a woman to that's brainwashing him. And he <laughs> takes both the fists fist and, and it's like ugh. whacking across a Bones' ex girlfriend who's taking control of the Enterprise's crew, like. If she were the normal one, could I do this? Whack! Whack! Like, that whack. is the most unpractical punch, but yeah. And, like, 
Oh, that'd been so funny if like if Batman did that. If he put his fists together and just <laughs> whacked somebody like that. But it's funny that I bring up Star Trek, and it comes to this movie. Yes, because the success of how successful this movie ha- has been, that uh, they greenlit a sequel. Yes, and with a uh, character that's supposed to be in the Batman '66 show but never was, Two Face. Harlan Ellison, the famous science fiction writer who wrote a lot of episodes for The Outer Limits of Star Trek, wrote a teleplay for a Two-Face episode. I, I assume it had to be a two-parter. I would, I would hope it would be a two-parter. And Clint Eastwood was supposed to play the original Two-Face in that show. But the producers and Harlan Ellison, because Harlan Ellison is kind of known to be kind of difficult to deal with or work with at times. Mm-hmm. And so that idea was scrapped. Sadly. So they're using that script for this new movie that's going to have Two-Face going against Batman and Robin in Batman 66. Now, you could take a look at this already, like, because Alex Ross did a cover of that of Two-Face and Batman and Robin. Like, you can check it out on his Instagram. Or just Google mm-hmm. Alex Ross, Batman 66, Two-Face, and that pops up. And it's gorgeous art because Alex Ross can't help but make beautiful art. Oh, yeah. He's amazing. And it's... The reason why we got on this topic whatsoever is because who they got to cast as Two-Face. It is William Shatner. <laughs> and I love when Batman, I... I must fight you or surrender, but I need to flip my coin. It is. is. By the way, did you go to Priceline yet? <laughs> <laughs> I just wonder, like, how serious they're going to play it. Like, it's obviously going to play it silly because it's just the nature of these movies. But I yeah. wonder if, like, Shatner's going to bring his A-game or he's just going to Shatnerize it. I would hope Shatner brings his A-game. Hopefully he doesn't shat on it. I see what you did there. Yeah, yeah, so I made a pun there. No, no, Imagine, like, it's like Ray's lost talk. Ah, 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 son of a bitch. That's the kind of moment we just had right there. Yes. So, yeah, we have that to look forward to. But before we close this out, is there any negatives to this movie? Because we've been gushing about this movie for the past hour. What do you think there are negatives to this movie? Uh, the biggest negative I have would uh, – I mentioned it to, you, it to you like a little bit immediately after I mentioned it and now sitting digesting it a little bit. Um, it would be interesting to see – some of the nostalgia factor would go away. But it would be interesting to see if DC would be able to have a version where Adam West and Catwoman, uh, Adam West, Burt Ward, and Catwoman were recasted as for someone that with uh, actors that more, would more imitate that how they were back in the '66 mm-hmm. and like give that younger voice, more age appropriate. You mean more age appropriate voices to their body to animated bodies. Which I could see because it would it would not be a disconnect for the audiences, because a big part of the selling point was having these three actors back for this movie, and so like at this point you theoretically could do a new animated version of this, just to have to do a new voice track of it. Sure, it'd be a pain in the ass to do and stuff like yeah. that, but it would just is a weird experiment. That would be something to, to for them to yeah, do, chew I mean, on. Yeah, just something like okay, well if we want like. Because the 66 Batman universe can 
I still think would be really work. I mean, look at what uh, the Brave and the Bold did. Yes, there was a lot of like goofiness to that. That played, but played it straight. But played it straight. It was Which, like sixty six. Uh, Brave and the Bold reviews oh are God. coming. Don't worry, we'll be covering that show. I love that show. Oh my. God. And I thank you every day for introducing me to that too because I was very hesitant to. I it. was so hes. I was like, I looked at the cover like Batman Brave and the Bold. Oh my god! And Batman during the daytime. It's like, oh, come on, how stupid is this going to be? And I was so proven wrong. The hammers of justice are unisex. The hammers of justice are unisex. Kabam! It, it was a microcosm and that, that a microcosm anomaly that only happens once in once in a lifetime. Oh, I would never have said that. That was just me uttering nonsense. I have no idea what just happened. <laughs> oh. <laughs> oh, my God. But, okay. Um, but, yeah, no, if they did, but if they could do that where they could test a market, test it out where they could get someone more age-appropriate, mm-hmm. and they could make a more, make the 66, uh, make a 66 anime movies more, more frequently and have some longevity, longevity to it. And I agree with you. That's probably the biggest negative to this movie is was those actors being a little bit older for it, and kind of being like almost take you out of the movie from time to time. Yeah, it, but it's not. They weren't. Granted, I mean, we're saying that this was negative. Like that's this is us nitpicking. Yeah, it's it's a huge nitpick. Yeah, the movie is great with them. Yes, and and I'm listening to this and I'm watching it, and I'm like, if this is so successful, and we're getting a new. The comic line is going so well, even so much so that we're going to have a Batman 66 crossover with Wonder Woman 74. Yeah, which looks awesome. Yeah, I mean, Alex Ross did a beautiful painting once again. Check that out. Um, There should be a video game. There There should be be a video game. Like, if you take the guys who do the Arkham games, Mm -hmm. but do a Batman 66 game. And have the tongue-in-cheek, like, jokes and and gimmicks. But with the fight... Uh, mechanics of the Arkham games with bow, boosh, squiz, everything like that. I mean, like it'd be like you just yeah, you'd be raining shut up, money. Take my money. It would be those shut up, take the money moments because you would just like, all right, fine, I am buying this. No, no way, fans or butts. Yeah, I think we should get a petition to get it for a Batman sixty six video game at this I, point. I, I, I'm for that. <sighs> all right. Any final words on this movie? I just want to talk about the animation. Okay. One of my biggest problems, we'll talk, touch on this when we do the Killing Joke thing, uh, but just a little thing. The Killing Joke animation was all over the place. There was with, some, its, with its consistency. With its consistency. I mean, it was from, they, it just looked like three or four different animation studios got hold of like the contracts for them, mm-hmm. and they did different scenes together, and nothing added up. Now, this could theoretically be because of the, the projection. It could be like the projector was not yeah, calibrated correctly. Like, we don't know. We, we should watch on home video to make our final judgment at that, and that's what we will do. Yeah, but initial thoughts was when we saw it for through fa- fa- uh, Fathom um, in the movie theater that the animation was just all over the place. Mm-hmm. Watching this on your gigantic Mac computer. Yeah. The animation was spot on. Yes. It was very consistent, very clean, and it flowed wonderfully. Uh, a few CGI moments that were added in there, like a 360 of the Batmobile in the beginning of the beginning, where uh, Batman and Robin animated in there. But it, it moved. It moved very well. It was 
to the eye was just super smooth. Mm-hmm. Um, the characters were drawn spot on to what they were. Adam West looked like Adam West. Adam West Batman looked like Adam West Batman. Burt Ward and Robin looked great. Um, <coughs> excuse me. Uh, Penguin Riddler and Joker looked awesome, though Joker didn't have like the little essence of mustache under his white. No, um, that that must have been like one of those like, well, he wasn't supposed to have a mustache to begin with. So yeah, and it probably would have cost him a lot more time and effort to do that. But Catwoman was drawn exceptionally well. Yes, I mean she Catwoman in the 66 show was amazing to look at then. Yes. And an animated version of her was just as pleasant to look at. Yes. Not saying that in a very sexist way of things, just she was a very nice figure and they did a very nice well representation, representation, representing. Wow. Representation. I, representation of that in this film. Like I just got yeah, stuck I there. Like I that. mean, got, I I mean yeah. The show is meant for teenage males. Yes. So obviously they're going to have a hot woman drawn in there. Yes. You got Catwoman. Yes. And she was very well drawn. Yes. And and I and I agree. But the, the animation was tremendous throughout. And I love like the the big open cityscapes and stuff like that. Oh, yeah. Seeing the city and everything like that. It was there was a lot of life to that. It was a, it was bright. It was colorful. It added, but it also the city, the space station, the countryside it added size to it. it yeah, made, you feel like you're unlike, off. The, unlike the Killing Joke when they ever did like the big wide of the city, just and felt. Just like, eh. Then you look at like under the Red Hood, whenever they whenever they went to a wide of that city, like you felt you're in the city. Yes, you felt the gravitas of that. Yeah, scene. and in this, you felt like you're in that version of Gotham City. Yes. It was awesome. And even the space station, you're in space. You're looking at the Earth. You look, you felt like you were in space watching this. You didn't feel like it was just there. And almost, I almost regret not seeing this live or for the Fathom events on the I, big screen now. I, dro- I dropped the ball personally on that one. I'm sorry. Because we were supposed to do that. Yeah, but I... I Time and effort, you know, things happen. Yeah. Anyway, final thoughts. Great movie. Um, I would either give it an A or A+. Plus, yeah. Personally. I mean, this is my second favorite DC movie of the year, and behind Batman v Superman: Dawn Justice, I love the ultimate cut of that, and I am a big defender of that movie. And we'll be talking like I, uh, Matt Bishop, and uh, who reviewed Batman v Superman with me. We're going to be doing a review of Suicide Squad soon, mm-hmm. and because it's weird, because they usually would do a digital release two weeks before a uh, physical release. Mm-hmm. However, for Suicide Squad, we got a whole month. Really? So I may have to rent the digital release to do the review of it next month and then get the physical copy in December. Hmm. But um, also, a little fun fact I heard on another podcast that physical copies of selling a Batman v Superman mm-hmm. is like $7 million away from Age of Ultron. Really? And Age of Ultron had like six months ahead of being out on home video compared to Dawn of Justice. Okay, yeah, that's a fun fact. Yeah, and like I think like the first week they made like thirty million dollars in physical uh, purchases of the the movie. Actually, thinking about this movie and um, Killing Joke, I wonder which one is more like money wise has raked in more money. Well, Granted, this has been out for, what a week now. Yeah, I mean, but I think because there were two Fathom events for Killing Joke. Because right. two nights. Because that was more anticipated. Yeah, because everybody had high high hopes for that. Because it was it, it is the world it is 
top five Batman sto- Batman comic stories. Yeah, and don't worry, like we'll, we'll be talking about that in full deep in another time. But any final thoughts about this? No, go see it. Yes, it is worth buying it on iTunes. Anywhere you can go see it, see it because it you will not regret 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 it. Yes, we are slowly devolving in our pronunciation and our. Uh, Communication skills right now, so we should probably wrap this up. Yeah, probably. Now, Dakota, if people want to find you on social media, where can they find you? I am all over the place, to be honest with you. I'm on Facebook, Dakota Wiegand. Uh, you can find me there, DWiegand1 on Yahoo, uh, not Yahoo, Twitter, uh, and Instagram, uh, DWDrawings uh, on DeviantArt.com, and also check out uh, my blog, uh, CartoonBinge.com, through uh, Blogger. Um, post a week every Monday. I post a blog up there. You can see uh, earlier blogs on my DW uh, drawings at deviantart.com uh, spot, though. Mm, very nice, very nice. If you want to follow me on social media, follow me on Twitter at Timothy Rooney Two, Instagram at trooney Ten Twelve, my Facebook and YouTube page Through Lens Productions, where one of my recent short movies uh, deleted is up. And uh, I've got a few short films in the gun right now. One, Dead Love, which uh, Dakota have definitely helped me with. Hello. Uh, i got another one, Tricks, coming out for Halloween that we're doing pickup shots and getting final stuff done tomorrow. Mm-hmm. At, the, at the recording, anyway. This is Monday the 24th, 2016. Mm. Uh, and we got a few other, and I've written a few other quick shorts that I've done that I want to do uh, soon. Mm-hmm. And so we got mm-hmm. a lot, a lot of content coming. As well as hopefully big news podcast wise between uh, Chris and I and our future plans for this show. Dun, 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 dun. Oh yes, and so we got a lot of Batman, a lot of DC, a lot of geek and pop culture coming at you very soon from this podcast. I hope everybody's enjoyed this episode of review of Batman Six: Return of the Cape Crusaders. Oh, and just so you know, we are trying to get another Harry Potter review out to you. Yes, no, we like if like my recent video on Instagram, we kind of called up called out Nikki, like uh, who is the other co-host for when we do our our podcasts, um, for her not being here. She commented on the video like. Uh, oh, like, oh, she? Yeah, she's like, oh no! <laughs> a million exclamation points. I'm reading all of the rest this week, don't! Like, oh man. So, I'll, I'll text her once we've been done recording saying, like, uh, it's okay. We, we weren't. Because podcasting. everyone misses. Yeah, the vroom, vroom. <sighs> <laughs> Yeah, so, hope everybody's enjoyed this episode. We'll be back to talk more geek pop culture, geek and pop culture soon. I'm Tim Rooney. With I'm me D- is Dakota Wiegand. We'll talk to you soon. Bye. All right. Three, two, one. Welcome to Anything Goes, the best geek and pop culture podcast broadcast in Long Island, New York. All right, let's do it again. <laughs> what did you just? No, my voice cracked. Did you hit puberty? <laughs> Leave me alone. <laughs> yeah, well, my voice is going through different changes. Gosh, Batman, I am becoming a man. <laughs> My testicles just dropped. Holy crap. <laughs> I'm still recording, by the way, too. <laughs> All right. Three, two. Do you know who I am, punk? I'm the worst nightmare you ever had. Kind that made you wake up screaming for your mother. You've got a mother, don't you? Every punk should have a mother. <laughs> <laughs>